Hello coders, welcome to another How to Code Well podcast. Today I want to talk about microservices. In particular, the good things and the bad things when developing a microservice architecture. We're also going to be talking about why I haven't had a guest on the show in quite some time. We'll be talking about that later on at the end of the show. So let's get on and talk about microservices. So for those who watch the Twitch live streams on twitch.tv forward slash how to code well on Tuesday mornings and, and Thursday mornings, as well as Sunday afternoons, you'll know that I'm building the new howtocowell.net website. This website is going to be using microservices. So I guess I should start with saying what the website does and compare it with where I want it to be. So the current website is very hard coded, <laughs> very, very hard coded. It's, it's using a, a sim the symphony framework. It doesn't, it doesn't do what I want it to do. It doesn't look like I want it to look at all. Essentially the website at the moment has some of my courses that you can, you can get uh, through different various vendors. And what I would like the new howtocodewell.net site to do is actually be a platform where people can watch my courses on that website. And I also want to have a subscription service or a service where people can purchase uh, courses directly from that website as well. So there's going to be a, an e-commerce element to this. There's also going to be a community element to this as well, uh, because I also want this to be integrated with Twitch. So when I am live on Twitch, you can watch it directly from that website. So there's a couple of things involved here. If we were to talk about the different components, we would have things like a user components. We would have a authorization and authentication. We would have the actual courses themselves, the tutorials and the videos. Uh, we would have an order uh, system. We would have a subscription system, a billing system. We would have an invoicing system, all of those kind of things. So there is, and obviously a customer relationship management system. So there's quite a lot involved with this far more involved than is currently on the howtocodewell.net site. I mean, on the current site, you can't log in. <laughs> there is no user section there at all. And that's what I want to, one of the things I would like to change in the new website. Please be warned though, that when I do announce the launch of the new site, don't expect all of these features to be in there because I'm only going to push out the MVP first, and then we're going to work on the other features as we we go forward. And if you've been watching the live streams, you, you'll know that I am reducing the MVP pretty much every week <laughs> to make it smaller and smaller and more manageable and more manageable. So I chose to do this in a microservice architecture rather than a monolith. At the moment, I guess you could call it as a monolith. And I suppose what I should do is define what a microservice is and what a monolith is. I want to caveat this, though, by saying that I'm not here to say that a monolith is better than a microservice. Not at all. They both have their places. And then once I've done that, I'll talk about the, the, the advantages and disadvantages, the things that I'm finding very difficult at the moment, just building this in microservice architecture. And obviously some of the good things as well, some of the things I really like doing, and hopefully this will help people if they are tackling a, a similar situation where they're deciding whether or not, or, or not to use a, a monolith or break things up into microservices. So what is a monolith? A monolith is a single system. It is the whole encompassing system 
This system has the responsibility of everything that is going on in this system. It is tightly coupled. So for example, the front end is coupled to the back end. The back end is coupled to the database and the, and the assets and all of that stuff. This means that if you have to change the front end and you want to redeploy it, you also automatically have to redeploy the back end and therefore maybe alter the database as well. I don't know. So everything is in one sort of thing. It's like put your, all your eggs in one basket. Now, this has some benefits and some negatives. It really depends on the project. It's a, on a project by project basis. So one of the disadvantages is that you can't scale very well. You have to scale vertically in a monolith. You can't really scale horizontally. And what do I mean by that? Well, let's say, for example, you want to, you, you notice that there is a, a spike in, I don't know, user registrations, and therefore you want to increase the, 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 the memory or something. Well, that's going to have a knock-on impact on the front end too. It'll also have a knock-on impact to the other components as well. A positive impact because you're scaling everything up, but you can't scale individual things horizontally. You can't go, okay, I'm just going to duplicate the whole website and put it over there. Um, because if you did that, you would need to have a gateway in front and that has its own complications because now you're dealing with duplicate data and it just gets crazy. I mean, you could, if you wanted to, you could, you could scale the database differently and you could slowly start making microservices out of your monolith, but that's a whole different topic. That's a completely different topic. There's also some disadvantages and advantages to do with configuration. So you'll be configuring the whole system in one spot. And in some cases, that's a good thing. And in some cases, that's a bad thing. Again, it really depends on the project that you're dealing with. If you're dealing with a very small project, then I don't think there's any need to have microservices because all you're doing is you're increasing complexity by doing that. So let's talk about microservices. What are they? Well, a microservice is sort of an isolated container, bucket, whatever you want to call it, that holds all of the data, all of the responsibility for that single service. And that single service will be one service of many that make up all of the components that the monolith had, okay? Which means that you can scale a single service horizontally, which means that you can, you can really focus on the responsibilities, the requirements, the needs of that single service. In the case of the howtocowell.net site, so far we have a user service, an authorization and authentication service. We have a course service. I'm renaming that to an e-learning service, an order service, a billing service, an invoice service, and other bits and pieces too. Lots of different services. and I'm sure there'll be more that comes on. So now you can see that there are many different things that you have to configure. You're no longer spinning one very large plate you know, and making sure that it's spinning. You're now spinning lots of small little plates and you're making sure that they are spinning, you know, as fast as they need to. <laughs> so there is, there's definitely, there's definitely positives and there's definitely negatives to both approaches. Uh, one of the disadvantages with a microservice is, of course, the, the, the amount of configuration. For every microservice, there is at least a uh, a code repository 
Um, and then obviously the code repositories for the dependencies. We'll talk about those in just a second. But a microservice, as I mentioned, has all of the things that it needs for that service to run in its own little ecosystem. Now, this includes its own database if it needs and also its own assets. So you no longer have one single database which has hundreds and hundreds of tables <laughs> tables uh you have a single database for each of the microservices and that database just holds the data for that service it doesn't hold data about other services it holds data for that one service and as you can imagine there is some positives and negatives with that obviously if one service gets compromised other services won't get compromised because it's only that service. So the attack surface is very small for each of the services, because each of the services is very small. However, if someone was to attack and, and breach the, uh, the the monolith, then, hey, they've got keys to the kingdom. So there you go, because it is it is itself one thing. So again, positives and negatives. Let's focus on the, the whole building a microservice. And my some of my frustrations and struggles and some of my sort of uh, happy surprises, shall we say. So one thing that I've really liked about microservices and building this system in this kind of manner is the fact that I'm able to really concentrate and focus on the responsibilities for every service. I'm not having to worry about how the, the, the users interact with the course from the course service I'm not having to worry about how uh, users are going to be billed when I'm dealing with the core service. I'm not having to worry about how the authentication is going to, to, to happen, you know, with, with certain services, because that's not the responsibility of the service I'm working on. And actually, from, from a coder's perspective, when I'm working on, you know, live stream, that's all I'm focusing on. I'm not having to focus on other services. I'm just focusing on that. They are essentially small little projects, which is fantastic. Now, a benefit, of course, of a microservice in the real world, in, in sort of a, an enterprise setting, is that each service can be coded in a, in a very different way. So they could have completely different technologies. However, I, I don't recommend doing this if you're, if you are the only one building all the services as, as I am. Uh, because um, there, there has been cases where I've been like thinking, well, I could build this probably better and more quickly if I did this in Python. <laughs> but then I'm going to be working with Python and PHP. And I think because it's only me and there is a level of commonality between some of these services, it's probably best to pick one technology and go with that. Also, consistency is definitely key. So having similar naming conventions of different things. If you look at one service and look at another service in my setup, they are very similar. They're, they've got a very similar folder structure. They've got a very similar set of commands to deploy and to test. You know, it, it's working on very similar pieces of kit. And for, for, for someone who is, it's just me doing this, this is far easier than having to switch different uh, technologies. So, I definitely recommend doing that if you are just doing this yourself is to not get too distracted by different technologies, just sort of home it down. Something that is a little bit frustrating is code duplication. So 
Code duplication is where you've got code in one service that is exactly the same as code in another service. And some of this code on its own is actually quite meaningless. So for example, let's just pick on the course API and say the 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 the, the order API for for instance. Both of the controllers in those APIs all ex- they both extend a common base class. And that base class has various different things in there that the controllers both require. Also, there is different ways of, or different components, I should say, um, that are injected into perhaps the, the middleware layer, if you will. Um, and those components, those little individual services themselves are very similar, or if not the same. And yet, completely and utterly meaningless without them actually being injected and being acted upon. So now you're, you're in this position where you have a lot of code, uh, that is either very similar or exactly the same floating about in your microservices. And if you think of a microservice as a project itself, then, you know, you, you can look upon this and go, well, surely I should be putting this in a, in, in a, another project, a com- you know, an, another sort of composer package, if you will, and inject that in and, and sort of that becomes a dependency a code dependency that you can pull in through through composer which is fine which is fine of course but then you're 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 really starting to break down the 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 service into small little components which you then have to look after and maintain these kind of decisions have an overhead uh, and if you're not careful it can become a bit you know technical debt as well uh, changing one thing, you're going to have to change all the others. So you've got to be very careful. You then have to deal with versions and semantic versionings and things like that. So there is a little bit of code duplication at the moment. And I am looking at pushing some bits and pieces into uh, a composer package that I can inject into the, the various services. But at the moment, I can see a lot of sort of abstract base classes that are very much the same in all the services. And I'm not sure if there's any point to actually putting them, uh, putting those into a composer package. I might look at actually what the, the methods of those, sorry, the methods within those base classes are, and then see if I can make sort of little services, little components for those kind of things and inject them in. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of sort of question marks over that kind of thing. Let's also talk about data duplication. Um, so, you know, when you've got a, a, say, a user service that holds all the information about the user, you've got a, a course service, an e-learning service that will hold all information about the course. Now, obviously, there's a little bit of overlap there. In fact, there's quite a bit of overlap because I would like the course service to have a record of all the courses that a particular user has seen. So the question is, where does that data go? In a monolith, you would have a, a, a table and in that table, it would have the user ID and it would have the course ID. There you go. And then you would perhaps have a date of when the user looks at that course, watch that course and, and so on and so forth. So where does that user, where does that data live? Well, if it lives in the user service, which I don't recommend, if it, if it's in there, then, then you have to have some information about the course itself. If it is in the course service, then you obviously have to have information about the user. Now, 
I've decided to do this in the course service, in the e-learning service, and I've decided to have this as the user ID and the course ID and other bits and pieces about the course, because that is basically the owner, the, the, the sort of the owner of the data, and it's mapped to the user within the user service. But you've got to be very careful here because if a user ID changes or if they, if they get deactivated by the user service or something happens to that user, maybe they've unsubscribed or maybe their account is deleted or maybe due to GDPR, they want to, they want to have the right to be forgotten. Then you need to communicate to the, to the course service and deactivate or change or do something to that data. Which brings me on to another point, and that is communication across services. Communication across services, um, I'm finding is, is a little problematic at this stage. And it's far, it's handled easier, I'm finding through message queues. But again, that's just a, an added piece of complexity. I hope you're seeing a theme here. When you're dealing with microservices, the level of complexity goes up. <laughs> So with microservices, when you're communicating from one service to another service, it's best to do that via, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, of course, message queues. So event sourcing. So, you know, using something like RabbitMQ, that's what we're using here as a way of, of sending a message from one service to a bunch of other services. So other services will be listening to that queue and looking for those messages and then updating their databases, you know, in the appropriate manner. So for example, let's just say, for example, a user was to log on or register. Let's say a user registration is a good one. So when the user registra- registers, then we need to send a message to the, an email service. We need to send a, a message to, uh, obviously the user service to say, look, this user has registered. Um, and then as the user progresses and watches other things, other messages get added. So there's a lot of messages. In fact, when you look at all the messages of a microservice, it's kind of like the heartbeat of the system, all these messages being fired off through the, the queuing system. Something that is really, really good with microservices is the fact that it, it kind of forces you to test your work because you now have reliance on certain services. So for example, you can't, you can't register a user to a, a, the, to the course service unless the user is actually registered in the user service. Um, also you need to have, uh, an authorization and authentic authorization and authentication. They're very different. Let's just, let's just define what they are. So authorization is authorizing whatever object it is. Maybe it's a user object that they are authorized to perform that particular action. Authentication, however, is to authenticate the user <laughs> to make sure that the user is who they say they are. So the authentication is kind of the login part of this. And the authorization is to say, can this user perform this particular action? So one thing that I have done, and it's something that I I, I, I wish I did first, one of the first things I, I, I should have done is I should have split out the auth parts of the system. So authorization and authentication from the user service before they were all together. So 
you would have the user database and that user database would obviously hold the security credentials for that particular user, obviously encrypted, and also the user itself. So the profile of the user. I didn't like that because of security for obvious reasons, but also something that has come really apparent is that the, the, the authorization part of this microservice architecture really needs to be split out. So here I'm talking again about the e-learning service communicating to something that authorizes that this user can have access to this particular e-learning course because they paid for it. So there is, there is a requirement of authorization and I didn't want the, I didn't want the communication being, I didn't want the author, auth service, the part of the user service at that time to be hammered. Because if that goes down, then that means that people can't register. Um, and also people can't see their own bits and pieces. So what I've decided to do is split it out. So we now have an auth service and we have a user service. The user service does not hold the passwords for the, uh, obviously the encrypted bits and pieces, the credentials, the security credentials of the user. It has the user information, but it doesn't have the security credentials. This is in the auth service. Um, and the auth service can then be scaled and it can be scaled in such a way that doesn't affect the individual user records, which is wonderful. I'm, 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 I'm very glad that I've made that decision because there's no need to scale the, the user bits and pieces. I don't think at this stage anyway. So that is something that I wish I, I would have done beforehand and that, you know, making that, uh, making that move. It, it does throw up, it does throw up some concerns, um, again with code duplication. And it does uh, throw up some concerns that there are going to be inter-service communication, um, specifically through HTTP requests, because you can't really put a message on the queue to say, am I authorized? Because I don't want the user passwords on the queues at all. No, not at all. We're using JWT as a, as a means of uh, storing the, the user bits and pieces uh, as a token. So there has been a, a massive learning curve with that as well. Um, but I, I highly recommend using JWT uh, because it's working out really well already. Just make sure that you don't put public information in the JWT or private information in the JWT because the JWT is publicly available. It, it, it is getting quite complicated. It is getting quite complicated and it's getting quite interesting. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this technology. Do I regret doing this? Um <laughs> I think I would, I think it would be done a lot quicker if I was using a monolith, but I, I don't think I would be learning all of these new types of technologies. I don't think there would, if it was in a monolith, I don't think there would be a need or a requirement as such as there is at this stage for a rabbit MQ for a messaging system. Uh, however, I'm certainly seeing the, the benefits of doing that. So I'm seeing some really interesting technologies and playing with a lot of stuff, which is really, really fun. So let's talk about why I haven't had a guest on for a while, because I think that uh, before questions get raised, I think this is like the, is it the fifth week now where I haven't had a guest on? Um, in a nutshell, because I don't want to make a big deal out of it. In a nutshell, there is a, a family thing that we're going through. My grandma is um, 
she's suffering from dementia and she is um, getting end of life care. And obviously there's, the, you know, there's, there's a bit to deal with there. I'm not in the right place mentally to talk to other people about their lives. <laughs> so I, I just, I hope you appreciate and, and hold on whilst this period happens. Um, and then once things are better, then, uh, I will be bringing on more guests. And this is also why I wasn't at Sunshine this year, but, um, that is, that, that is, that is the case. Anyway, have a good week. Make sure that you wash your hands and uh, keep healthy. Happy coding, everybody. And I'll see you again soon. Cheers. Bye.